The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're talking about bullying, bullying recovery. According to the American Psychological Association, 40 to 80% of school-aged children experience bullying at some point during their school careers. Very, very few ever mention this to parents or teachers. 10 to 15% might become chronic victims or bullies themselves. Bully victims are between two and nine times more likely to consider committing suicide than non-victims. Bullying is prevalent and bullying is dangerous, and that's what makes this show so important. We are very fortunate that our guest for today is Alan Eisenberg. He's a certified life coach, founder and managing director of Bullying Recovery. As a child, Alan suffered from years of childhood bullying and from scars of this bullying well into his adult years. As a coach, professional speaker, and author, Alan's focus and mission is bullying and abuse recovery coaching. His two acclaimed books are truly contributions to the field. A Ladder in the Dark, My Journey from Bullying to Self-Acceptance, and Crossing the Line. They're powerful portrayals of bullying. One is personal, and the other is a fictional cautionary tale of the long-term effects of bullying. As a professional speaker, Alan has been called upon to address a wide variety of groups on bully recovering, from K-12 to graders college psychology and graduate programs, school administrators, and adults. He has a powerful presence online, and he tells me that when he started his Bullying Story website, surprising to him before he knew it, he had 1.2 million visitors, which tells you how significant and prevalent bullying is. At present, Alan is working on his master's in clinical mental health counseling to further help those dealing with the mental health effects of bullying. Alan Eisenberg, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Alan, why don't we start by giving our listeners a glimpse of the childhood story of bullying that you carried, that you tried to bury, but really haunted you for a good part of your life. Yeah, and and that's really where I started uh, um, back in 2007 when I first started my Bullying Stories website, um, which was my first foray into the subject, but um, it, it was haunting me. It was it was 
coming in and out of my head. And, and at that point, I was in my upper 30s. So I wasn't a, I wasn't a young guy. Um, but I always knew that somewhere in the back of my head, bullying had something to do with the problems I was experiencing in life and the way that I felt and about myself and acted. And, and so when I started to look back and what I did in, in this first website was I wanted to tell my story. So I, I had to do recall, which was very difficult. Um, and actually, you know, there were things hidden that, that came forward. Um, but what happened is, you know, when I was five, we moved from a, a southern part of the country up north to New England. And um, life, life was very different at that point for me. Um, so so at, at, from 6 to 13, while I was in, in this area, I, I just found that uh, bullying became sort of what, what happened to me. And I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't understand it, of course, as a young person. And then I think at the time, you know, and this would be in the 70s and, and very, very early 80s, um, I don't think adults really understood it. I, I know my parents didn't. I know they, they thought, uh, you know, when I said there were effects, they didn't believe it. Um, they didn't believe it was as bad as it was. I had many adults from the school system let me down because I don't think they knew what to do about it. And it, it just became a part of me. It, it became an absorption of who I was. And, and I know why it did affect me the way it did. Um, much later in life, I, you know, you discover more about yourself. And I discovered that I'm a highly sensitive person. This is something that Elaine Aaron is, is the expert on, has been studied now. About 30% of people are. But what it means is that yeah, you, you, you have a very high sensitivity to uh, the things around you. That might mean um, you have a good, good uh, you know, first impression instinct or you can sense sort of things about how people feel. Um, and, and for yourself, you're very uh, emotionally uh, sensitive. And so that brought out what, what every bully wants in a, in a kid like mm-hmm. me you know, crying and uh, being upset and being reactive. And so along with that was the haunting, you know, what that goes with it, but being sensitive. And so it's really that sensitivity. And it's why you hear like, well, not everybody who gets bullied is going to have long-term effects, but there is a good portion of people, if 30% of us are highly sensitive, and then some of us are just, um, going to be reactive to what happened to us and, and let it haunt us, um, then that's what happened. So, you know, here I am uh, at 50 still talking about what happened to me from ages 6 to 13, which I call the uh, very informative years of a child's life. And, you know, as you study sort of lifespan, you find out that these years really do uh, matter when it comes to long-term effects. I'm glad you mentioned about being highly sensitive and becoming then a red flag for kids who would be bullies, uh, because often a child, and tell me if you agree with this, Alan, they're mystified. I mean, in the book, as you describe it, a little one, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, is mystified why someone who was a friend the day before somehow becomes a bully or 
steps in with the bullies as you're the one being targeted over and over again. I think it's very hard for children to even understand why me, which adds to their sense of self-doubt and their vulnerability. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely that way. It, it's At a young age, we don't understand ourselves much less anyone else. And so the expectation, you know, of a five-year-old is that, you know, everyone's going to be your friend. And, and obviously that changes. We all see that change. And, and uh, it starts to become very apparent around sixth, seventh, eighth grade that, that kids can become very cruel. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's because of that sensitivity that everybody has. You know, I, 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 I know everybody has a sensitivity. Not everybody is reactive to it. But, yeah, there's a, a huge lack of understanding as a child why this is happening. And then to further that into the miseducation or the loss of education of the adults, that this is really something that's going to affect this child is what causes this long-term effect problem. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't until 2013 that the first studies came out. So in 2007, I'm talking about it, I'm theorizing, I'm saying, oh, this is happening. And it was 2013, the first time bullying was classified as complex PTSD, mm-hmm. which I knew it was PTSD because actually in my other life, I was creating PTSD training for soldiers <laughs> and was like, why, why am I so familiar with everything that's, that we're telling them of the effects of PTSD? That's so interesting. Maybe let our listeners know, how do you distinguish complex PTSD from the PTSD that you were writing the, and doing the media training on? I, th- I think what's important is that PTSD was created as a replacement term for what was shell shock or some of these, you know, terms that the soldiers were not being recognized for in years past. You know, we, we didn't talk about when the ones who came back from World War II or Vietnam uh, were put into a, a, a mental health clinic or a psychological ward uh, for life in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that that is really reserved for them. Um, but the, the complex part, the reason that it was defined that way, and if you go look at it, it's actually fairly broad when it comes to the abuse. Um, it even talks about concentration camp victims. It, for for it to be complex PTSD, it's typically going to start at a younger age, a childhood age, where we have these influences, and it's also going to um, be a, a lasting problem. So something that you know, whereas you go you go to war, you know, that might be a year or two years. You have you you have that effect. Um, complex is a much deeper problem. Uh, as we've discovered, with that children just don't let go of these things that happen to them when they're younger. It's really such an important distinction. We could add that, and and as Alan experienced in his childhood, it's the chronic victimization. It just isn't an, a, a car accident um, or a um, mission that went bad. It just went on for years and years and the feeling is that you're not only being victimized but you're totally out of control and under the control of someone else and Alan some of the the reason I I want us to underscore it is because you perfectly explain in some ways that you had really buried so much because it had been so persistent that 
and I've dealt with folks who, for whom this happens, all of a sudden they they don't have the memory of it at first, but they have yeah. the body awareness. As you describe, you hear a song, suddenly you're very upset. I've had folks walk into a certain type of center or room and have a panic they don't understand because this just so long children can respond without having to start to dissociate some of these memories. Yeah, and and you hit on a really good point with music. I mean, that was one of the the key elements. Music and media for me have always been these very important things. And and for me, it's while while music is important, it's it's in the lyrics that that I find a lot of uh, discomfort or comfort, depending on uh, a song. But I also my memory is uh, an emotional memory. So again, a highly sensitive person ends up with this memory that's based on emotions. So when I hear that song from the 1970s, I'm actually placing myself as that young person at that point in time. And if it wasn't a good point, that's when I'll tear up or, or some, I'll have a reaction. It took me a long time to discover that. Of course, that's not something uh, you can, but if anyone can research it now, it's all over the Internet. If you get goosebumps when you hear a song, if you go to a concert and you cry when the band comes out, you know, all of these things are, no, are known traits now to the sensitivity of how music uh, affects us. But, but, you know, again, going back to what I was doing and, and how I wrote A Ladder in the Dark, I, I always knew when I wrote that I wasn't going to write it till I had the third act, and the third act had to be recovery. So I knew what the first act was, which was actually the way that I wanted to present it um, was that idea that I buried it, that that when I came back from New England, when I moved back, I made a conscious effort to change who I was. And that was very painful. Um, so I gave up my authentic self, who is this, you know, fairly... Um, uh, outgoing person who, who wants to be with people to uh, a fairly introverted, quiet, um, painfully scared, uh, low self-esteem person. And yeah, I spent much of my teenage years and young adult years as a rebellious, angry person. And it was, it was a total mask. It was not my authentic self. It never was. And it's what I what I needed to do to kind of put up, you know, going back into music, Pink Floyd, the wall, you know, put up put up mm-hmm. a barrier around myself to protect me, you know, to protect um, myself from being hurt any further. Mm. One of the major, I, I think it's so important. I think one of the major hits and losses children who've been chronically bullied and victimized suffer is the authentic self because in attempting to survive they can no longer risk being relaxed their hypervigilance and finding as you say a way to sort of blend in which of course they never can quite do um, continues to you know belie the fact that they just want to be themselves and so many folks like you Alan it takes sometimes till adulthood to really start to pull the pieces apart, to take a closer look and dare to let your real authentic self in. I mean, that's that you're saying that until you were able to do that, then you could put your whole story together. Right. And, and, and until I could recover, I mean, I, I didn't mm. do it by myself. You know, this is, 
this is a serious game. Um, you know, going back to the studies that are going on today, I mean, we're, we could talk about suicidality. I mean, children as young as six years old have killed themselves over bullying. Um, it's how does that happen? You know, uh, we have a, a rate of of um, 2.2 times to 2.6 times more likely to commit to attempt suicide by uh, people who are bullied. And then there's 200,000 youth who are bullied who bring a weapon to school to protect themselves. Mm, I'm going to stop this here. Basis. I'm going to stop us here. It's such an important topic because we're we're out of time, but we're going to come right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. As you hear, we're talking about bullying and the long-term effects of it. We are with Alan Eisenberg. He is the a certified life coach, the founder, managing director of Bullying Recovery, and he's the author of A Ladder in the Dark, My Journey from Bullying to Self-Acceptance and Crossing the Line. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Alan Eisenberg about bully recovering. And we were just talking about one of the real 
um, damaging impacts of being a child or a teen or even an adult, but mostly we're talking at this point about children who are chronically bullied is the loss of their authentic self. Life has become too unsafe. They can't risk being themselves because they hardly know why they're the target. And you were mentioning that just as we, we took the break, Alan, that it's maybe no surprise that what's the percentage of children who are bullied who bring guns to school? So 200,000 a day. Whoa. Yeah. So, and, I, and, so I was, and I was one of them. I was at, at, at 13 years old, I brought a, a knife to school. And, yeah. and I used it. Mm-hmm. I used it on a bully. Um, and and that's, that haunts me to this day, you know, that, that uh, act that I felt I had to do because I just was, was so um, lost at, at, at not wanting to be bullied anymore. Um, and, and I told, you know, I told the bully, I told all his friends, I said, I have a weapon, don't, don't, don't mess with me. And they still did. So, mm. so I, I did what I had to do to protect myself at the time, or so, or so I thought. And that's how this happens. That's how you get 200,000 youth. And that's mm-hmm. how, you know, in my book, Crossing the Line, I, I talk about, you know, school shooting, school violence, and, and how that can happen, how that, um, how bullying can play a factor, as we, as we know in some of these school shootings, um, in why someone would bring a weapon to school or would attack um, the school. And it's, it's another term that I, I developed as I learned more. What, what I was really doing was dealing with something I call, um, uh, and I'm developing a thesis on, uh, the perceived threat syndrome. So this idea that I was perceiving threats all around me. So my fight, flight, or freeze instinct, which is uh, a part of us, was broken was gone, you know, after, right. after feeling on edge every day for seven years, it was broken. And I, you know, I couldn't, could no longer distinguish good from bad, you know, a, a conversation that was just a debate versus being attacked verbally. And, and that went on for many years. I mean, my, my wife would be happy to tell you how many times I misread things she said to me. Um, mm-hmm. It, it didn't go away very easily, and it, and it's still something I work on to this day is to try to to understand when it's just a, a, a conversation or a debate and not an attack on myself. It it so fits the uh, what people suffer with and the quick to anger, quick to rage. It's really dysregulation, and I I want our mm-hmm. listeners to know in the book A Ladder in the Dark, the point at which you bring the weapon to school after desperately trying to tell them to leave you alone that I mean at that point as you read Alan's book you you can viscerally feel how terrified he is he's desperately terrified and meeting up with the bully again I think we would probably say that you know the, the person with the weapon is the probably the most terrified one. It certainly it doesn't excuse it, but when you read it, you can see the point of desperation, Alan, that you had gotten to. Yeah, and and he was one of my best friends, so it was one of those again, like you mentioned, I was, I was so confused. How did it get to this point? And you know, why does he hate me? Why 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 is this happening? You know, what am I doing to cause this? 
And and again, that's that's the mistaken issue, right? Is is that you know what am I doing? But at the same time, that's happening. I I had an opportunity to bully another another kid um, at religious school. So I had this dichotomy of being very unpopular at regular school, but being popular at, at religion school. And they wanted to bully this one kid, and I participated. And the the feeling I had. Uh, of doing that act, you know, was very, again, very painful for me, but also one that, uh, you know, I struggled with. You know, it's, it's never a great situation, and I think that's what people listening have to understand is what we know is a lot of these bullies come from broken homes, um, from being ignored at home or beaten at home. You know, they have their own sets of issues going on mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I have long thought, and I've written about, humiliation as being very dangerous and as a stepping stone toward violence. And I think the shame and the pain that is suffered when someone's bullied, and it's always a asymmetrical relationship where the bully is towering metaphorically over the victim, becomes such such a point of desperation that we see, as you've just said, we see violence as a result of it. Eventually, the victim either is mm-hmm. violent towards self or violent towards someone else because they're trying somehow to recover some sense of, of self that they don't have to be ashamed about. It's interesting because you also mentioned you were very angry at your parents. You were... You were, as a teen, you were yelling at them and you're angry. And to me, it also, you describe it as taking self-hate out on them. I can think of many teens who are really suffering and that's exactly what they're doing. And it's very hard for the parents to read it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is very common because, you know, who who's not going to leave you? Who Who can you take out all these frustrations on? And, and they will, you know, not leave you. And it's, it's your loved ones. It's your parents. Unfortunately, as you get older, it might be your wife or your children. Um, and, and people that you feel that you can do this to or you can be angry with and that aren't going to walk away from you. Um, that's not a good thing. That's not a positive aspect at all, but it's the cycle of what happens uh, and what we see as happening. And, and so for me, you know, as I, as I got older and, and buried these memories, right, until I recalled them, until I brought them back out in 2007, um, I really still didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. I, I always, you know, I always thought in the back of my head it had something to do with bullying, just from the way I was thinking, but I still tried to bury it. I still tried to to not allow it to do to be there. But but the you know as I say in, in my book, the voices were always talking in my head that I was a loser, that you know nobody likes me. Um, you know my my, my self confidence was was a uh, uh, all but all but disappeared, and that went on for many 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 years afterward. And now again the research shows. This is what happens is that, you know, as a child, if this happens to you, then, then you lose your self, self-worth, self-confidence, which leads to, you know, possible use of uh, risky behaviors, um, you know, 
falling into, you know, violent behaviors, possible incarceration. And now uh, with the ACE study, and, and people can find out about the ACE study, they found that it can lead to early death by 20 years on average. So if, if we don't take care of these things that happen to us as children, the consequences that follow for some of, for some of us, for, for um, I think in the ACE study, it was about 12% of 17,000 people, uh, is going to be early death by 20 years. And Alan is talking about the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, ACE, which I'm glad you're mentioning because it's so important. It, it, when you look at that study and you see just what you said, the impact physically, psychologically, neurophysiologically on a person having had adverse childhood experiences, you really want this to be in the public uh, venue because if people just see acting out kids as bad kids and ask what's wrong with this kid rather than what happened to this kid, we don't really help them. You really, I mean, you're offering us a trauma-informed opinion of how it is that bullied kids may end up being the bullies or may end up being so aggressive to their parents or so impossible to deal with. Yeah. And, and not just that, uh, I, I think, you know, we, you, you hit on it where it's, it's physiological also. So when we talk about the adverse childhood experience study, you know, a lot of that is physiological problems. And for me, that manifested in my gut, you know, in, in stomach issues, which is very common. Um, you know, if you see kids having stomach issues all the time, uh, you know, that that's tension. You know, that's, that's your body. When your fight or flight's off, you have the sympathetic nerve uh, that goes down into your stomach and tightens it. That's what it's supposed to do. So you're not hungry. So you run and, and do all these other things you need to do. Well, when that's broken, you know, you're apt to get stomach aches. And, and I ended up, you know, getting every test under the sun as a 16-year-old thinking, you know, for sure I had stomach cancer or something. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and, and I had stomach issues up until I finally did recover. And now it's amazing how I don't. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's that's crazy. very interesting. Well, one of the take-home messages for our listeners is be suspicious if, in fact, you have for some reason, depression, physical symptoms, the irritable bowel, headaches, etc., that maybe it's connected to an adverse childhood experience that just was just put out of mind and out of consciousness. Now, maybe we ought to mention what happened when you finally started getting in touch with your story, because that, that didn't exactly bring paradise right away. No, no. Yeah, so in 2007... Um I was doing web websites and blogging got big, and I just always had this this want to to write. I like to write. Writing is a, a big um, relief. But again, my confidence in writing was was pretty low. You know, like who am I to write something? Um, but but I started doing it. I said, you know, it was. I went to Virginia Tech, and it was soon after the Virginia Tech uh, killings where that particular um, gentleman was bullied in high school and went through a lot of things and and a lot of things went wrong at Virginia Tech that caused, you know, the, the massacre there. I, I got really upset about it. And I said, you know, I, the one thing I, I always feel like, and even, even to my own kids at the time, 
you know, as parents, we don't ever tell our kids, if our kids come home and they say, I'm being bullied, you know, I can't tell you how many parents tell me, well, you know, you need to punch them back or you need to do something without saying, you know, that happened to me too. And that happens to a lot of people. And so it further pushed this aloneness. So I said, I'm not, you know, I'm going to do this where I'm going to say I'm an adult and here's what happened to me. And I thought it would be cathartic. <laughs> I really did. Um, but uh, instead, it just released the demons. It released it all back as I, as I, you know, went back in my head and, and pulled from my subconscious to my conscious these these stories, which, you know, I would find out later were bad, but not as bad as some of the other ones people sent me. Um, and and from there, you know, I at, at around in around 2011, I, I had a total breakdown. Um, I totally hadn't dealt with what had happened to me. Um, I didn't um, have the have the pieces of the puzzle to put together to say this is why this is happening. And uh, I ended up in a deep depression with high anxiety um, and an inability to function. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that and that's where and that's where I was. So I, I and then that all was a was ca- was a catalyst because again you mentioned you know the website got very popular and it started getting used in a lot of places and being noticed and the place that noticed it was the hometown where all the bullying happened and they invited me they were going to pay me to come talk about what happened to me there and I couldn't go back I, I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the catalyst to to my breaking down, which which looking back is like so amazing to me that I you know I couldn't even go back to this town where all this happened. That's how haunted I was. Mm-hmm. I want you to know so, how. Go, oh, keep going. Go keep ahead. going. Now. I was so, going to say you know, that. So, so at that point, you know, I I I discovered what professional help was out there. What you know, and and people choose different things, and and I chose, you know, for, at first it was purely reactive. I just need some help. Um, but but I chose to go to professionals and discover myself. What was what were these painful things? Why they were they are happening, and how to how I needed to overcome it. You know, one of the one of the things I always tell people, especially as I start uh, as I coach and as I start to um, develop a counseling uh, methodology for myself, is. There's not one person out there in the mental health community that can make you better. Only you can make you better. All, all, all that they can do is, is give you methods, ways, if psychiatry is in play, medicines, you know, to, to help you focus on getting better. But you have to, you have to want it. You have to go get it. And it's, it's work. It's hard. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and I always hate to say that, but it's at the same time, I don't want to ever give people the impression that, oh, well, I can just get past this. This is, you know, this is just going to be over. Because as as I tell people now, you know, whereas before I would say, oh, I want to be over this. You know, they're always like, when are you going to get over this? And I say, you know, when I'm when I'm gone, that's when I'll be Mm -hmm. over this. (laughs) It's it's going it's a work in progress at all times. I don't and I no longer think about, you know, an end point. 
Mm-hmm. We're we're going to have to take a break. Um, it's such an it's so important what you're sharing, and we're going to come back and share more. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about bully recovery with a man who knows this journey very well, Alan Eisenberg. He's the author of A Ladder in the Dark, My Journey from Bullying to Self-Acceptance and Crossing the Line. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Divorce or domestic family issues can take their toll not only on the adults who are party to it, but also to their children. Sometimes separation or divorce are far better solutions than staying around a toxic relationship. Now there's a show that listens and provides solutions. Listen for Reclaiming Your Life with host Don Christensen. In this program, we discuss family crisis issues which can happen to anyone. Divorce with dignity is possible, and working together can achieve wonderful results. Listen Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Alan Eisenberg about bully recovery. And we were just talking about something that I really hope our listeners underscore. Often when you write your story, much as Alan has shared, and I've worked with folks, when they really go back, to dig up the story, it's not just a magical, cathartic experience. Very often, just as Alan explains in his book and even in this show, it is very painful because with it comes all of the painful memories that are tied to physical symptoms and body memories. And one of the things I was mentioning to Alan is I think his connection with other people and telling his story is very, very helpful in finding a place for that. 
as the people who I've been working with who formed a group, it makes a big difference to them. Do you find that when you're taught that actually even working bully recovery has been therapeutic for you, Alan? Oh, most most definitely. Um, I, no, no one was more amazed than me when people started reading it. And then they were sending their own stories in. And some of their stories were, you know, in terms of what happened to me, uh, were, were just uh, unbelievable. And they wanted them published. You know, they, a lot of them didn't want their names. In fact, for years, I didn't put my name on mine. Um, but they wanted it out there. And, and I think that, that it formed this community. Um, and as you talk about, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything better than talk therapy. Every podcast I do on my own show, anytime I talk to someone like you, you know, I, I'll walk away feeling better. And it's because it's a real, it's a cathartic release. It, it allows for an understanding that, that we're not alone. I think for, for so many years and, and for so many people, we feel alone. And it's because uh, of this stigma that goes with both bullying, uh, being weak, and, and mental health, which we are, I think, on the cusp of breaking. I don't know. It's still going to take some time, but, but you know, there, there's the stigmas. And, and I always equate bullying very much like rape. And, and, and people say, how do you do that? You know, how do you equate rape? Well, the victimization of bullying is a lot like the victimization of rape in that, you know, why don't college women come forward? Why do we know they don't come forward in rape cases? And it's because they know that someone's going to ask them, were they drinking? How short their skirt were? Right. They flirting? You know, all of these things that they might have done that have nothing to do with the fact that somebody um, committed a crime against them. And it's the same thing with, with, with a bullying victim. You know, why, why can't you just... Uh, be friends with that person. Why don't you just change the way you're acting so that they'll like you more? Why don't, you know, why should I be different? So that's what I did, right? You know, I, I did these things and it, it was so painful that, uh, it ruined my life. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I say it's the same thing. The victimization we do with people who are raped is the same victimization that happens in many cases with bullying. And if you don't believe it's still happening, it happened to me, and in 2013, a movie, a documentary came out called Bully, and I'm watching it, and, and this administrator at the school is playing out exactly what happened to me when I was blamed as the victim um, and, and, and confronted by an administrator at a school in 2013. And that made me cry because that... that that boy could have very well gone home that day and taken his own life or gotten a gun and gone to school the next day and taken another life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's where crossing the line comes in my fictional book where, where I really try to explain how, how things get to that level and how they're, that line is very thin between a choice that, that a, a young person might make between taking their own life or taking the lives of others because of bullying and the damage it does. And I would say Alan's book, Crossing the Line, is a is a page turner that any teen any teen would not put down once they pick it up. I did want to ask you, Alan, 
You've been the teen, you've been the adult, you've been the therapeutic presence online, and when you teach, for teens who are suffering the way you were and the way the youngsters in the book are suffering, what would make for an effective therapist or or adult? What what advice would you give, whether it's a therapist, adult, a, a rabbi, a priest, what's the best position for that person to take with a teen? I think, as, as anyone should, um, you, you have to show that person that you believe um, or you're not, you're not judgmental. I mean, that's, that's the first you know, mm-hmm. of, of any therapy, right, is we, we don't judge. You know, someone says this, this happened and this is the way they feel and that's the way they feel and it's not, it's not for us. So, so having someone tell you, you that didn't happen, you don't feel that way, you know. Why, why don't you just do this different? Why don't you just... That, that's just a... We, we have to stop doing that. We have to stop. And I and when I speak, there's always one person, one dad will stand up and say, I tell my kid to punch back. And, you know, it was only one time I had... Uh, I was lucky to have a, a, judi- uh, a um, juvenile judge in the room as, <laughs> as he said that. And she goes, you know, you know what we call that when we get to be adults? And she said, it's called assault. And it solves nothing. It solves that one bully that one time. And now, you know, now you're going to grow up thinking assault is the right way to handle things. And I thought, thank God someone else is saying this, mm. you know, because I'm tired of saying it. Mm. But, but it's really that, you know, if you're dealing with a young person, you know, they don't think the, the trust factor alone in, in adults, you know, particularly with teens. Teens lose that trust in adults. So, you know, try what you see now is a lot of these teams are working together or forming you know, mm-hmm. their own groups for group mm-hmm. therapy. But but we as adults need to be part of that that solution. We need to be understanding that this damage that we now see in these ACE studies or CPTSD is real, mm-hmm. and that we we have to believe it and we have to understand it. And now we have to you know, try to help these younger people earlier so they don't live the life I lived for 30, almost 30 years until I was able to get professional help and and recover, which, mm-hmm. you know, was, was very hard at 30 years of habitual um, treatment of myself because I was my bully. By the time it mm-hmm. all ended... I was the one telling myself I couldn't do things. I was the one that telling telling myself I was a loser. I was the one telling myself um, no one likes me. Yeah, so, so we, we have to change that. Well, I, I'm loving what you're saying in terms of the best position for a parent or a therapist to be respectful and, as you say, validate what this young person is saying. Um, I I think it's Eli Wiesel who says, you know, um, just as it's another human who can steal our dignity, it's others who can help us repair our sense of self. And the whole idea of your website and the opportunity to hear that other people have been through this and to validate that the terror you felt was real, I think that that becomes incredibly important in the recovery, which is why sites like yours and books like yours help people think, whoa, it's just not me and I'm not the only one. 
So I think that mm-hmm. the um, recovery piece having to do with connecting with others is enormous. Um, at one point, I really believe in group therapy. You know, your resilience kept shining through, Alan. At one point, you were looking for group therapy, then realized you were the one who had to form the group, um, <laughs> which you did. Which you did, And people came together and told their story. And, you know, it's my belief that a group of people together telling their story is unbelievably therapeutic because, as you just said, they're not alone. The, the carrying of the shame and the blame alone is devastating. Yeah, and 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 the most amazing thing happened when when that all happened. I mean, it, it's very typical for me. Just like like I say, I'm a, I'm this extroverted guy, so I I don't mind. You know, I didn't mind telling my story. I would cry in front of people. I didn't mind running it. I, I didn't really want to, but I, I didn't mind. But what was so interesting is, you know, you you get a list of the people who are going to show up, and this one person didn't show up to this session, and so. I went back on the website where we sign up, and, and she wrote that we, the session was at a library, that she sat in the parking lot of the library, but she she had so much anxiety and so much um, going on in her life, she couldn't get out of the car. Mm-hmm. She couldn't even get out of the car to go to the therapy to get the help. And that's the thing I fear the most, is that there's a lot of people out there that we're not even aware of because we don't ever see them. They, they are so riddled with problems, and, and I know some of them, um, that they can't even leave their house. And, you know, I, I think we're getting, we're getting to a lucky point, hopefully, um, where we can do some, some telecounseling. And as I study to be a counselor, I'm learning a little more about that. That's yeah, fairly new telemedicine. But maybe we'll be able to reach them and at least get them maybe from their house into see us because I do think that face to face I do think that that emotion is felt and it's felt through being with someone um, and and someone being empathetic uh, and and it's not easy you know there's a big difference between having sympathy and having empathy Brene Brown. If you want to go on YouTube, has a great video about the difference between sympathy and empathy. They're mm-hmm. very different. And not right. everybody can be empathic or empathetic to people. Um, it requires a level of um, self-awareness and, 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 and self-risk that a lot of people don't feel comfortable giving. So that's why therapists are out there. That's why people are out there. Most of most of them are empathetic or empathic people. I I wonder, and um, there was one program I came across that helped train people to be bystanders, Alan. And I really mm-hmm. thought it was a good idea. And maybe that's something you touch upon in your training. But sometimes a child, like the time at one point you're watching someone getting beaten up and you're thinking, why am I not jumping in? I think I should do something. I, I actually think this one particular program for college kids with sexual assault really taught people to be in twos. They said it's hard to be a bystander alone, but a bystander in twos going over to a guy who's um, screaming at a woman or in some way harassing her gives you a better shot. So the whole idea of people helping people and us training them to do it is maybe something that really can step be a step toward reducing the isolation and reducing bullying. In the interest mm-hmm. of time, yeah. I would like you to tell our listeners 
about your website and dif- and well, let me just say, if you had to say, what are the main things in your toolkit that have kept you healthy at this point? Well, I think you know self care is is critical, um, and it's critical for anyone. Um, but uh, you know, I had to discover uh, certain things like nutrition. So serotonin, which is this you know thing they say we have low serotonin if we're depressed, is developed in the gut. So 90% of, of serotonin is developed in the gut. So what does that tell you? That what you put in your body is going to affect your mind, your mood. So I started eating right, you know, outside of the aisle, right? <laughs> um, so nutrition, uh, exercise. Exercise is endorphins. It's like, it's like getting a magic high, you know, for a little bit. So, you know, we're talking about 20 minutes of exercise. We're not talking about you have to become an exercise guru. You can do it four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um my, my other one that I, I always go to is mindfulness, uh, and mindfulness is a big term. It can be all sorts of things. It can be you like to garden, you find peace in gardening. That can be it. It, it is med- can, can is meditation, breathing exercises, yoga, uh, taking a walk in nature, um, just learning how to relax your mind. That's what mindfulness yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Very critical. And then I always like to stick my other one in there that... Uh, a lot of people are starting to get, which is stop watching the news. <laughs> There's nothing good on the news. Read That's the news. true. Um, now to read the news, but but you know when when nine eleven happened and I sat there and I watched the towers come down over and over and over. That's I would I would I, I felt myself spiraling down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that's something the the news used to be what was happening in your community, and then Walter Cronkite would come on and tell you a half hour of the world. Now we're inundated with 24-hour news, opinions, um, all the bad travesties that are happening all over the world, and we feel like they're happening in our backyard. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many parents don't let their kids go down the street to see their friends because they're scared they're going to get kidnapped because they heard a story of it happening, you know, five states away. Right, right. I mean, when I was a kid... I went wherever I, my parents kicked me out of the house, you know, go away. Okay, <laughs> so, okay. Um, they're cueing me in, Alan, that we're just about out of time, and I don't want to, okay. I'm loving what you're saying, but so how will our listeners find you and your wonderful books and resources? What's the best way? So just go to www, or actually you don't even have to, bullyingrecovery.org. Just go uh, bullyingrecovery.org. Um, if you go to Amazon, you can just uh, look up, the books or look up my name, Alan Eisenberg, and you can find the books there. Uh, but they're also online at any uh, book retailer that you might want to buy them from. Uh, but on my website are my podcasts, my blogs, uh, a huge amount of linked research information um, for people to get and uh, information on how they can get in touch with me. So bullyingrecovery.org. All right um, And I'm going to encourage everyone to go on the site, whether you're a therapist, whether you're a listener, whether your child is suffering. The resources are just wonderful, as are the books. Alan, I really want to thank you for joining us today. Somehow you've turned your suffering into a journey that really benefits everyone out there. So that in some way, you know, you've you've really um, taken your suffering and turned it into a message and ways of responding that I really think will help other people heal. Thank you so much for all the people you've touched and for being on our show today. 
Well, thank you, Suzanne. I, I really had a good time, and I'm glad um, that I was able to talk about it with you. Thanks so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. It will be a podcast by 6.30 tonight on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, Sketcher. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly, until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 